الحمد للہ رب العالمین وصلی اللہ وسلم علی نبینا محمد وعلی وصحبہ وسلم اما بعد حبت فلا السلام علیکم ورحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ حیاکم اللہ and welcome back to our series during this holy and blessed month of Ramadan regarding Ramadan like the Salaf al-Salih, Ridwan Allahi alayhim. Ahabati fillah, we would like to mention some of the narrations of how the Salaf were when reading the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when reading the Qur'an, and how it impacted their hearts, how their hearts were affected. And secondly, we should take a look at how they were regarding crying out of a fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and awe of Allah and especially in reading the Quran and reading hadith. And first, when observing the Salaf al-Saleh or the pious predecessors, we see that in general their worship during Ramadan consisted primarily of four types of worship. Fasting, the night prayer, sadaqah or charity, and that includes feeding the poor, you know, the musakin and the, and the fuqara, or having iftar with them. And then the fourth thing was umrah, that they would try to make umrah. Because all of these were a part of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. And in the last sitting, we talked about some of the narrations on how some of the salaf used to be with regards to having iftar with the poor, that they, some of them would not even have a meal. They might break their fast, but they would not have a meal during Ramadan as far as iftar. They wouldn't have a meal unless it was with uh, the poor, unless there's poor people to join them. Radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'een. So all of these great acts of worship, they require that we are sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that sincerity. And that means it is free of shirk <clears throat> and that the act of worship is done in accordance with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Wa alaykum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And we spoke about some of the acts of worship and some relevant narrations of the salaf and so I felt it would be relevant for us to continue with some narrations pertaining to the Qur'an in general, meaning how did the Salaf ta'amil with the Qur'an in Ramadan, and also in general, how, did they, uh, how were they with the Qur'an? Because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to tadabr and tafakr, to, to, to be thinking and to, to reflect on the Qur'an, to contemplate the ma'ani, the meanings of the ayat of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that we should, you know, it should inculcate certain uh, uh, feelings within us and it should help to establish taqwa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we're better in our ibadah, that we benefit from those actions uh, in that action of reading the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so in this regard, when it comes to the Salaf in, Qur uh, in the Quran in Ramadan, it was said, 
فكان شافعي في رمضان ستون ختمة or khitma. that Imam Shafi'i, it was reported on him and narrated on him that he used to finish the Quran 60 times during Ramadan. And that means that he, rahmatan wasi'ah, that he used to read it and then and other than the Salat as well. He was just reading it uh, extensively. And obviously that means twice a day you would be finishing the Quran and you can imagine what a task that 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 would be. We can't actually imagine that. And it was also mentioned or narrated that Qatada that it was said that Qatada Ta'ala and he was one of the Tabi'een that he used to finish the Quran every seven days uh, and this was his regular habit fi, uh, and then this was his regular habit and then during Ramadan he used to do it every three days he would finish the Quran and there are many narrations uh, with the Salaf, uh, on the Salaf in this regard. For example, also, وَكَانَ الزُّهْرِ إِذَا دَخَلَ رَمَضَانِ يُفِرُّ مِنْ كِرَاءَةِ الْحَدِيثِ وَمُجَالَسِدَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَيَقْبَلْ عَلَى التِّلَاوَةِ الْقُرْآنِ فِي الْمُصْحَفِ So, it is said about Imam al-Zuhri, that when Ramadan entered, that he would flee from you know that he would he would stop completely uh reading uh hadith and sitting in the the lectures of the people of knowledge he would completely cease doing that and he would focus entirely on reading and reciting the quran during ramadan and it said it was said about sufyan authority that when ramadan uh began that he would leave all of his ibadat, meaning ibadat that is uh, uh, nawafil, except for the wajib. Of course he prayed and of course he fasted and did those other acts of ibadah that are an obligation that you cannot leave. But he left off all of nawafil and Quran, and he just totally devoted himself from to to read in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to read in the Quran. So this shows us the hal of the salaf. This was how the salaf salih were. They were devoted to the Quran. They were immensely focused on the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they knew that only khair came from the book of Allah. And they knew that the Quran that that is the assassin deen. The Quran is the assassin deen. It is the, the masdar from the masdaran, from the two sources of the deen of Islam, comes the book of Allah and the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Quran, the Quran is all aqidah. It's your creed. The Quran is all of your adab, your manners. The Quran is all of your mu'amalat on how we deal with one another and we interact with one another. And it's completed with the sunnah of the Prophet So this is why we see that the Salaf, rahimahumullah jami'an, they devoted themselves to reading the Quran. And when they read the Quran, it had an immense impact upon them. It's so different than us. We could read 10, 20 pages and maybe not even think of anything. Maybe drink coffee at the same time. Maybe 
you know, we, we don't give it that, at that attention. Sometimes you hear the people reciting, and that's so beautiful that they're reciting. But how much is it really affecting our hearts? I can only speak personally about myself, but we know, and you know with all honesty, how little of an effect it has. How much do we carry from those ayat that we, we recite outside as soon as we leave the masjid or as soon as we leave our home or as soon as we leave wherever we've been reading the Quran? And how is it it affect our relationship with other people? How much are we reflecting upon those ayat, those ayat kawniya wa ayat shari'iyya, meaning the ayat uh, koniya that refers to the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the creation. So, for example, when you go out in the wilderness and you see the beauty of the trees, you see the river flowing, you see the mountains, you see the rain, you see uh, just the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's beautiful and wondrous creation. How many times do you look at things and you say, subhanAllah, and you really reflect and you think, look at the intricacies of the human beings and look at the intricacies of my hand, you know, how my fingers are able to move. This is dalil, this is evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exists and that he is the only one worthy of worship. How many times do we reflect upon those ayat koniya? And for example, from the ayat koniya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, fi kitabihi al-mubin, he says, wa min ayatihi ya layla wa nahara wa shamsu wa al-qamr, la tasjidu li shams, wa la lil-qamr, wa shjidu lillahi aladhi khalakuhunna in kuntum iyahu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He says, And from his signs is the sun and the moon and the, the night and the day. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Do not prostrate to the shams. No matter how beautiful and wondrous, we can't look at the sun. It's so powerful. We derive energy from the sun. You know, the sun, people feel good from the sun. There's studies about depression from darkness compared to the sun. The people in the sun having that sunlight. We feel warmth. We feel, you know, you get so many benefits from the sun. And Allah says, La shams. Do not prostrate to the shams. And not to the moon. And then he says, Prostrate to Allah, the one who created them, if it is him you truly worship. So it negates any and all forms of shirk, all forms of polytheism, all forms of animism, you know, that the people who worship the creation, if you go to some places in the, in the, in the world where they worship trees, rocks, snakes, people, elephants, and uh, uh, dogs, you know, cows, all of these things, we see that how the people are misled by worshiping those ayat koniya, the ayat in the creation. But that gives the believer further, um, further iman billah. And then the ayat uh, shari'iyah. So this is the ayat of the Quran and otherwise. And these ayat are the things, or these ayat are what the Salaf were reflecting upon and crying and reciting during the holy month of Ramadan, and which is mishroor. It is legislated for us to do the same, to reflect, contemplate, learn the tafsir, understand the Quran, reflect upon the Quran, practice the Quran, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless us with uh, to, to be of those 
who reflect upon the Quran. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Listen to this narration. This is a narration on Hanad ibn Sari. Rahimullah ta'ala. Qama yusalli wa yirfa sawtuhu bil Quran wa yibki kathira. So it was said, it was a narration uh, uh, about Hanad ibn Sariya, uh, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. And it said that he came, he stood up to pray. Uh, and so this is obviously referring to Qiyamah Quran, And he raised his voice in reciting the Quran. And then, kathira. And then he immensely cried. To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He didn't cry for the for the, the publication of the people. He didn't put it on Facebook live. He didn't put it on YouTube. He didn't, he cried Lillah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because this was the methodology of the Salaf al-Salih. This is why we love the Salaf. This is why we want to emulate the simulate the salaf, the salaf, the salaf. Because the heads of the Salaf al-Salih, who were they? They were the Sahaba to Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, radiallahu ta'anhum ajma'in. وقال أحمد بن سهل الحروي رحمه الله تعالى كنت ساكنا في في جوار بكار بن كتيبة بن عبيد الله فأنصرفت فأنصرفت بعد العشاء فإذا هو يقرأ يا داود إن جعلناك خليفة في الأرض فأحكم بين الناس بالحق يقرأها وهو يبكي so in a narration, uh, Ahmed ibn Sahl al-Harawi, he said that I used to live next to, uh, right next to Bakar ibn Qutayba ibn Ubaidillah. And I left uh, for Isha, you know, I, he left his house to go to Salat al-Isha. And he said, and, um, you know, ibn Ubaidillah was, he was reading, he was reciting the Quran. And was reciting the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Dawood, inna ja'alnaka khalifa. O Dawood, verily we made you a khalifa in the earth. So therefore rule amongst the people by the truth. Bil haq. And so he recited this and he began to cry immensely. Look at this. Ayats maybe we don't even understand. We don't understand their import. The Salaf al-Salih, they understood and they cried because their crying was a source of coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they knew the meaning of the ayat. They could reflect. They could implement it in their lives. It, inf it, afflict it affected their hearts. It affected their hearts. Rahimahumullah jami'an. Abdullah bin Hantala, tila rajul indahu hadhihil ayat. لهم من جهنم مهاد ومن فوقهم غواش فبكى عبد الله بن حنطلة he he uh, a man recited this verse in his company and it was a verse where Allah subhanahu wa taala says and for them is جهنم so it has the threat of the punishment of the hellfire وعياذن بالله وإياكم من النار لهم من جهنم مهاد and for them in the hellfire is a bed in Jahannam. Women folkihim, and above them are flames. Okay, we can talk about this easy. We could probably crack a joke while we're doing this. Not that we would crack a joke with the Quran, but we can easily talk to someone else and it doesn't affect us. When this person in his company recited this verse from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Fabeka, he began to cry immensely.
Listen to this narration on Abdullah on, on Umar ibn Abdulaziz rahimahullah ta'ala who was known also as one of the righteous uh, uh, Khalifat even though he is not specifically mentioned from the Khalifat Arba which was Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, wa Ali radiallahu ta'ala majma'een. So Umar ibn Abdulaziz rahimahullah ta'ala uh, he one night he was uh, in his prayer and he was reading Surah Al-Layl. وَاللَّيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ قَوْلُهُ فَأَنْذَرْتُكُمْ نَارٌ بَكَى فَلَمْ يَسْتَتِعْ أَنْ يُجَاوَزَهَا ثُمَّ عَادَ فِي تِلَى سورة حَتَّى بَلَغَ الْآيَةَ فَلَمْ يَسْتَتِعْ أَنْ يُجَاوَزَهَا مَرَّتَيْنَ أو ثَلَاثٍ ثُمَّ قَرَأَ سورة أُخْرَى غَيْرَهَا so, Umar ibn Abd al-Aziz, rahimahullah ta'ala, he was, uh, he was uh, reciting uh, Surah Al-Layl. This is Surah Al-Layl. How many times do you read Surah Al-Layl and you go through quickly? You know, it's in Juz Amma. You just recite it. You're not even thinking about the import. وَلَيْلِ إِذَا يَغْشَى You know, when the night, in, in the night that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by the night and when it, you know, it covers, you know, covers the day or... And then when he came to the part of the surah <coughs> where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I have warned you of a raging fire. Okay? This is the, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He began to cry. And he couldn't go past that verse in the Quran. Then he, he, began, he, he returned his, his, his recitation to the beginning of the surah. And he recited again. When he came to the same Ayah in the surah, he couldn't go by it. He couldn't. He couldn't go. Go. Uh, you know, recite beyond that, and he began to cry. Shadid. You know, he would begin to cry excessively, and then it happened a third time, and so then he just he had to begin to recite another surah. So this is a immense lesson for us. If nothing else, hopefully it, it, it gives us, it awakens us. It awakens us to how our pious predecessors were and how we should strive to be with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we need to uh, awaken our hearts. Because a lot of the reasons, there are many reasons why we don't cry or why we're not affected. I don't say cry just for the sake of crying. But I say that we're not really affected like that. And some of those reasons is because for many of us, the Arabic language is uh, a foreign language for us. You know, it's not our first language. So it's it's more difficult for us. And even if we learn Arabic, sometimes we don't have that kind of strength and the strength in vocabulary and the various sciences of the Arabic language. And of course, the sciences of the Quran, ulum al-Quran, such as tafsir, the explanation of the meanings, such as the, the ways of recital, such as the linguistic um, approach to the Quran, the Balaga and the, I don't know what Balaga, how would we translate that? But, you know, all of these various sciences of understanding the language and the import and the, the grammar and the, you know, the word, uh, the word usage. So for us, it becomes, it's, it's, uh, you know, it has less of an effect upon us. But if we just really take time and we learn at least the general meanings we learn some tafsir and we exercise by implementing the Quran in our lives and understanding that 
this can help be the softener. This can help be the thing that moves your hearts. And what you find, sometimes you find for those who live, you know, especially in the Muslim lands, I'm sure this is a characteristic all over, but I'm only familiar more so with my situation in, in Yemen and Saudi Arabia. But you'll have imams like Sudais for those who have prayed behind Sudais. I mean, you'll, you'll cry too, because when you hear Sudais cry and you're in the ranks, you're, you might be many rows behind him, but you can't see him, but you're in the Haram, you're in Mecca, you're praying with people from everywhere. This guy's from Afghanistan, this guy's from Pakistan, this guy's from Somalia, this one's from, this sister's from Ghana, this one's from Ethiopia, this one is from America. You see people from the UK, you know, you're, people who came together, Lillah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to worship Allah Azza wa Jal, subhanAllah, alone. And this is Ramadan, and you hear Sudais cry. You cry too. He's raising his hands in Qanut. You cry too. And this, uh, these kind of things, they affect and they have that impact on the heart. But that is not the same tears in 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 general as like the Salaf, because we cry because it it you know you feel it. You may understand the Qanut, uh, the Qanut. You may understand. Uh, you know, what he's making dua about, and that may have an effect. And, and Sudeis' voice affects you. And just when you have a million people around you raising their hands, Lillah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, this elder here, this young person here, and the woman carrying her baby here, you know, everyone worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it affects you. But it's not like the Salaf who cried even when they were alone. You know, some of them, they cried severely, reading an ayat, and just wondering, you know, is this me? You know, am I the one in this ayat who's going to be tormented? For example, one of the Salaf, he began uh, crying and his family was praying with him. And they said, you know, what's making you cry? And he said, you know, I don't know if this is me. Or, or actually his family began to cry with him. And, you know, they said, well, why are you crying? And he said, I'm crying because I don't know if this is me in this ayat. You know, and then they were they were crying together. So. It, it shows us the, the importance of the Qur'an. That's really the shahid. The, really, the main point there is the importance of the Qur'an. Listen to this, uh, this, this, um, this athar of our salaf. Shariba, uh, this is actually one of the sahaba, radiyallahu ta'ala, this is uh, Abdullah bin Umar, the son of Umar bin Khattab, radiyallahu ta'ala, Shariba Abdullah ibn Umar, ma baradin. So Abdullah bin Umar, I mean, how many of you cry when you drink water? He was drinking some very cold water and he began to not just cry. It wasn't like a little tear, but he, it says, He began to cry excessive from drinking cold water. So it was said to him, what, what is making you cry? He said, I, I reflected on, I, I just remembered one verse of the, the book of Allah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and a barrier will be sent between them and what they desire. Okay? So, and he said, and I knew that the people of the hellfire, that they won't desire anything. They won't desire anything. And then he said, He said, their desire at that time 
will be just cold water. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in this regard, that the people of the hellfire, they will say, when they're being punished in the hellfire, they will say, you know, just give us uh, some water. Just give us some water or, or that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided. So that's when they will remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's when they will reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it will be too late. So the point here is Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he was crying just from drinking water. That reminded him of the Quran. Just drinking cold water reminded him of this ayat and the people of Jahannam. And he cried extensively. This is reflection. Have to tadabbur al-Quran. This is real reflection of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's easy for me to say this, but how much, how much am I going to practice when I open the mushaf? And when I'm reading, will we just go through it quickly? Will we just continue to, you know, skip pages and just and not even know the meaning and not even try to know the meaning, not even approach the translation if we need it. And definitely not even spending time with the tafsir. So it shows us how important it is that we need to return to the Quran and we need to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as possible. And especially in this month of Ramadan. <clears throat> and also it's a, a narrated, and I believe it's also in Abdullah bin Umar, وَقَرَى وَيْلُ لِلْمُتَفِّفِينَ You know, woe to the mutafifin. And, uh, and then when he, he reached the, the, the verse in that surah, he, where, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ يُكُمُ النَّاسِ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ The day that the people will stand for the Rabbil Alameen, for the Lord of the worlds. فَبَكَ حَتَّى خَرَّ وَمْتَنَعَ عَنْ كِرَاءَ مَا بَعْدُهُ So he, he began crying until he fell down. We can't imagine. Can you imagine a man? A man yeah, we see that when somebody, uh, the Syrian father, loses his child, washes up in the beach, he falls down in tears. The Yahud kill one of the Muslims in Philistine, the, a man's child or the, the sister who's a nurse on the front lines. And yeah, maybe the parents, they cry and they fall. But these people, the Salaf, they cried not for those Omur Dunyawiyah. And no doubt those things affect your heart when you see your, uh, your family, you know, gun down or you lose a child or those things. Those things can overcome you and, and probably make you faint and some people when they get the news and things like this. No doubt, that's a human reaction. But the Salaf, Rahimahumullah Ta'ala, this, this was their status when they recited the Quran in Ramadan and outside of Ramadan. That's how they were with the Quran. That's why they are the Salaf al-Sadi. That's why they are the pious predecessors. Because they were truly pious. Because the heads of them were the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum That they led the, the, uh, the campaign, if you will, to protect and preserve the deen. They were the preservers of the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu And they reflected and they implemented they used to, the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala, they used to learn, what was it, 10 ayat, and they wouldn't, they didn't go beyond it until they practiced it and they, you know, knew its meaning. So they would learn it, just 10 verses. But we want our children to memorize the Quran, but then they become gang members. They 
become all kind of other things. We're not reflecting. We're not inculcating in our children the love of the Quran, the meanings of the Quran, the, you know, the tefasir, those things which are going to benefit them and hopefully have an import on their heart and teaching them to practice the Quran. That is what's absolutely imperative. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us to implement the Quran. I mean, so he began crying with Surah Al-Mutafifin. Just when Allah, just at the ayat, Yomu yukumun nas li rabbil alameen, the day when the, all the, the people, you know, will stand for the Lord of the worlds, he cried until he fell down and he refused to read after it. He refused to read uh, after that. It was just too, it was too much for him at that time. That's how they, they were, you know, it meant something to them. It wasn't a uh, live. It wasn't just a uh, um, play and just something, you know, entertainment or, you know, I don't know what else to say, but it wasn't something light with them. وَقَالَ النَّافِعِ مَوْلَى بِنْ عُمَرِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَلْعَنْ So Nafi, who was one of the tabi'een, رَحْمَةُ عَلَيْهِ رَحْمَةٍ وَاسِعَةٍ مَا قَرَأَ إِبْنْ عُمَرْ حَتَّيْنْ آيَتَيْنْ قَتْ مِنْ آخِرُ سُورَةُ الْبَقَرَةِ إِلَّا بَكَى He said, uh, Nafi' who was the freed slave of Umar bin al-Khattab, uh, uh, Ibn Umar, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma. He used to, he said that Umar, or Ibn Umar, would not read the last two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah except that it would cause him to cry excessively. And that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن تَبْدُوا مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and, uh, and disclose, and, and it will be disclosed what is contained within yourselves and what you conceal. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everything. He knows your status. He knows your status with the Quran and he knows your status of the heart. He knows if you're a hypocrite. He knows if you have the trait of hypocrisy. And, and because the Salaf were fully aware that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, uh, knows everything, that they, you know, that had the real effect on their lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Fi kitabi al mubin Inna allaha la yakhfa alayhi shayun fil ardi wa la sama. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, Verily, there is uh, nothing hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the heavens and the earth. Okay, we know that. We read that. But how many times do we allow that to affect our actions? Does that keep you watching from the, the bad movies on Netflix? Does that keep you from watching worse than that? Does that keep you when you're alone in your car from listening to Tupac? Now, I know you guys might listen to something else now. Hopefully you don't listen to any of it, but I'm, I'm just trying to, to, to bring it home to you. Or whatever, you know, does it have an effect upon you knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or before you utter that kalima, that, that, that word, which is, uh, you know, a, a bad word, you begin to curse someone, you begin to, you know, uh, attack someone's honor, you begin to backbite someone, you carry bad information about someone or negative traits of someone and spread it around the community. Does that stop you from that? A, a lot of times it doesn't affect us. The Salaf were different. That, an ayat like that, they, they you know, it, it, it could stop them in their tracks because it's so powerful if you reflect that Allah sees and hears everything. If your parents were in the room with you at all times, 
a lot of us out of respect and fear perhaps too we there's many things we would not watch there's many things we would not listen to there's many things we would not say so how much more should we be respectful of the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we should be fearful of the speech of Allah azawajal knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees in everything la yakhfa fil ard nothing in the heavens and the earth uh, is um hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or when we reflect on the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he talks about ihsan, you know, ihsan, worshipping Allah to that level of ihsan, not just being a mu'min, not just being a Muslim, because those are three levels of, of uh, the believers or, or a Muslim or iman, if you will. There is the Muslim, there is a mu'min, and there is a muhsin. And the muhsin is the highest level. So every muhsin, is a Muslim and a Mu'min, but not every Muslim is a Muslim. But they have Iman, so in one way you can call them a Mu'min. But every Mu'min is a Muslim. Okay, so a Muslim is someone you know they're in the fold of Islam. They practice the pillars of Islam. They may be lazy in their prayer. They may have many major sins. They may akramakum Allah watch you know pornography. They may do all kind of sins. They may commit. The major sins, okay? Uh, but they're Muslim, still a Muslim, still our Muslim brother and sister. And but the mu'min's on another level. The mu'min stays away from uh, the major sins, but they might do other sins, and they also they might do some of the mustahabat, you know, the recommended deeds. But they're not, you know, they still have shortcomings. Okay, they still have some bigger shortcomings but he's a mu'min walhamdulillah but the muhsin is the one who fits the category of the hadith of jibril when jibril asked the prophet sallallahu about ihsan and this is how the salaf were they were the muhsinin you know and the prophet sallallahu said in ta'budullaha ka'annaka tara fa'in lam tukun tarahu fa'innahu yarak he said it is to worship allah as if you see him and because you can't see him, know that he sees you. That's why the Salaf were crying. Now you get a, a glimpse and an idea. Why were they crying? It's because of that. Because they were the Masanin. Because they worshiped Allah as if they could see him. And the fact that they can't see Allah, they know that he sees them. If you knew Allah was watching you, like fully Iman, okay, you know it. I think everyone here, they believe that. Everyone listening, I'm sure they believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, can see and hear everything. We all can say that. You know, some of us can recite the ayat. Some of us can give us evidence from uh, the, the sunnah. Some of us can give evidence from the salaf even. How many of us are implementing that? And really, every time we go to the masjid and pray to Allah, every time we open the mushaf, that we make sure we have tahara, where, you know, we have wudu, and we recite the Quran, reflecting on its meaning and contemplating it. You know, how many are trying to perfect their ibadah? It's very few of us. It's very few of us that are reaching that level to be of the mahsaneen. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all to be of the mahsaneen. Ameen, ya rabbil alameen. There was a narration, another narration, which illustrates how they were again with the Quran. And that's primarily what we'll talk about in this sitting is how the Salaf were with the Quran and even some narrations about how they were with Hadith. So uh, Hassan, Al-Hassan, uh, 
So Al-Hasan radiallahu ta'ala'an that he came Atta Al-Hasan bakuz min ma liyuftra alayhi So Al-Hasan he was he was brought some water to have iftar with okay to break his fast and so when he got to the last part of it with his mouth he, he you know while he was drinking it he began to cry he began to cry so it was uh, and then he said he said i remembered that the people from the hellfire that they will say and it was one of those ayat that we mentioned afidu alayna min ma min al ma you know that you know give us some water or from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided that the people of the Nadr will say this so he remembered that verse he said and he said and then I remembered what they will be what the response to them will be he said in verily that Allah has prohibited it from the disbelievers and so then you know that that's what caused him to to cry excessively <clears throat> so it shows us again the salaf how they were this is that narration i was mentioning and this was a, a narration of abdullah bin ruaha baka abdullah bin ruaha fabakat imra'atuhu so abdullah bin ruaha he was uh, crying, you know, he was crying per perhaps in Salat, and then his wife began to cry. And he said to her, uh, What is, is causing you to cry? She said, I saw you crying, so I began to cry. <clears throat> Inni the kartu hadhil ayah. Verily, I ref, I begin. I remembered this verse. I remember this verse. Wa inna minkum illa illa warid waridaha. Where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says there isn't one of you except he will pass over it, meaning passing over the sarat, the sarat of Jahannam. You know, the bridge over the hellfire. So he remembered this. And that's what had caused him to cry. So when uh, he said, then when I realize that I am included in this ayah, that I will also pass over the sirat, and I, فَلَا أَدْرِي أَنَاجْ مِنْهَا أَنَا أُمْلَا So I, I don't know whether I will be successful in passing over it or not. This was, this was the salaf. These were some of the best uh, generations, narrators of hadith, preservers of the hadith, ahla hadith was sunnah. These were the best of the ummah after the sahaba radiallahu ta'ala And from the sahaba radiallahu ta'ala This is how they were with the Quran. They were fearful of hypocrisy. They were scared of being hypocrites. They were scared of the hellfire. Umar, was scared of being one of the hypocrites. That information that Hudayfa bin Yaman had information about who the hypocrites were. And he kept asking him, is it me? Am I, am I one of them? They thought this about them, and they were the Sahaba. What about us? 
So many people are confident about them being a, they're, about themselves, that they're a believer, that they're Ahl Iman, that they're Ahl Sunnah, that he's uh, on the Menhaj of the Salaf, he's this, he's that. So many of us take pride in those things and never cry to Allah. Some of us don't even pick up the Quran. And so there are many, many narrations, and I don't want to, because the time is, uh, we are uh, <clears throat> to save uh, time. Um, here, here's a narration on Amish, on Abi Duha. Qala haddathana man sami'a Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha taqra wa qurun fi biyuti that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says and stay in your houses you know remain in your houses so Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha she began crying just about the verse about staying in the houses for the women for the believing women she began crying until her khimar became soaked with her tears this is the mother of the believers so <clears throat> this this shows you again the salaf how they were with the Quran and how they were uh, you know how how they had the khushur and the khashia wa inaba you know had a hope and fear and and comfort and um and 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 that uh, sakina in their hearts that you know that their hearts their hearts were resting uh, with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, they found comfort in it. We can read the Quran and it doesn't change our hal at all. Many of us. Wallahu musta'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, clean our hearts. Ameen, ya rabbil alameen. And bless us with ilm and nafia. You know, beneficial knowledge, which is knowledge of the Quran, first and foremost. Knowledge of the book and the sunnah. How are the salaf, <clears throat> just in general, with their crying over... Some of the Salaf used to cry in general, just over all kind of things. You, you, you know, and this was due to their again, not just reflecting on the Quran and the ayat, but just reflecting on general things in life, because the ayat konia, the things in life, that the signs in which they reflected. You can look at a computer. You might say Subhanallah, but it's not. It might not really be something that's really affecting your heart. But some of the people, when they they encountered things and they saw things you know it just it 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 just caused them to to completely lose it as far as their 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 uh, um, emotions you know and and it wasn't just emotional recklessness it was because they contemplated because they reflected um it was narrated <clears throat> that uh kab Rahimullah Ta'ala, he says, Lian Abki, Min Khashitillah, Ahabba Ilay, Min Attasadak, Bi Wazani Dahaban. That Kaab, uh, Kaab Al Akbar, Rahmatullah, he said it was narrated on him, about him, that he said that I would cry from fear of Allah, Khashitillah, is more beloved to me. Than to give charity the equivalent to my body weight. Subhanallah. Many of us would rejoice if we could give that much charity. And, and unfortunately, it might cause us to be puffed up with pride and think, well, I've done enough good 
for the rest of my life or for such and such time, you know, you know, you might seek praise or, or even if you don't, but this is how beloved, even crying out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how that was with the Salaf. They were very, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it had immense uh, import upon them. It affected them immensely. Rahimahumullah, radiallahu ta'ala, anhum How were they with the hadith? Here's uh, just a few narrations we'll end with on how some of the Salaf were with hadith. And then if there are any questions that are relevant, we'll try our best to deal with them before we uh, close. So how are the Salaf with reading hadith? Al-Hafidh Abu Barakat Al-Anmati Qala Ibn Jawzi Kuntu Akra Alayhi Al-Hadith Wuhuwa Yibki Fa'astafadtu Bi Bakaihi Akthar Min Istafadati Bi Ruwayatihi This is a very uh, nice narration. This is a narration Al-Hafidh Abu uh, Abu Barakat Al-Anmati, he, um, so Ibn Jozi said about him, Rahimahumullah, he said, I used to read uh, hadith to him. You know, I used to narrate hadith from him or, or, or read hadith to him, you know, checking and learning hadith. And he said, and he would cry all the time. He would always cry. I benefited more from his crying than I benefited from his uh, from his his narrations, you know that was a tarbiyah, because when you see that that you know someone who actually has you know they fear Allah Subhanahu wa Taala like this and they implement the deen like this, this has an educative effect upon you, and an educative effect upon your heart bi idnillah taala, that it is a way of of purifying your heart. So he benefited more from his crying than he did from his narrations. Rahimahumullah jami'an. Abdullah bin Sa'id ibn Abi Aun al-Riyahi. Kana salihan wara'an. Awu man yudkhul al-masjid wa akhir man yukhruju minhu. Man yukhruju minhu. Wa kana baka inda kira'at al-hadith. Subhanallah. Abdullah bin Sa'id ibn Abi Aun al-Riyahi. That he was known as someone who was very, uh, very righteous. He was known as a very pious and righteous person, and a very, um, you know, uh, you know, a person with uh, fearfulness and humbleness, humility. He was known to be the first person to enter the masjid in his locality and the last one to leave it. He was well known for that, and he used to cry whenever he read hadith. He read hadith. Subhanallah, rahmatul alayhi, rahmatul wasiyah. Wallahu musta'an. What can we say? Ibn Gharik, qala Abu Ya'qub ibn Yusuf al-Hamdhani, kana bihi tursh, fakana yaqra alayna binafsihi, qara alayna hadith malakain, fabaka, fabaka azimin, wa abka so uh, it is said about Ibn, his name was, or Ibn Gharik. So, Qala Abu Ayyub, or Abu Yaqub, anyhow, Abu Yaqub, he mentioned about this man, Ibn Gharik. And 
he said that he used to, I believe it was he, that he was deaf, okay? And he used to, um, you know, he used to recite to them, you know, so they would recite and maybe he could listen and, and or he could, you know, uh, with, you know, recite their Quran or, or what have you. And so obviously he, 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 he must, he could hear, but anyhow, that he had some sort of impairment anyhow. And, you know, he, he would recite, uh, to us the Hadith about the Malachane, meaning the Hadith about the, the, the angels that would, uh, question in the grave. Okay, that question while you're in the grave. And he would cry in excessive, you know, he would just break down in tears. He would cry excessively. And the people who listening, then they would begin to cry. Again, look at it has a, it has such an, a, an effect. When you hear the people, the Salihin, especially the scholars, especially the scholars. And I advise you for those who know Arabic. Listen to some of our scholars, especially in Yemen. Listen to like Sheikh uh, Abdullah ibn Uthman of the Mari. Rahmatullah, uh, ta'ala. He's a, a great scholar in a place called the Mar, which is in North Yemen, close to Sana'a, about an hour away from Sana'a, I think. And, you know, some of his khutbas and the, his effect, he's known for his effect upon the people and causing, you, sometimes you'll hear him mention and he'll break down the whole masjid will break down when you hear grown men weeping like little children it causes you it has that educative effect in fact we need some of that we do need some of that even if the ayat and the hadith haven't affected us which they should that is the that's the goal but when you listen to the people of sunnah crying, breaking down from narrations, breaking down from mentioning uh, paradise and Jahannam, breaking down from, you know, these affairs, that this right here, that this has an educative effect upon you. This should soften your heart. This can cause you to break down. And again, I have had teary eyes on more than one occasion, not just from his lectures, but also I mentioned this, I think the last time about Imam al-Albani, and this is recorded uh, when the woman uh, she came and it was a uh, live, you know, by the phone, people would call in and ask him questions. And the one woman, she said, Sheikh, you know, and mashallah, she was, you know, very strong. And she mentioned, I think it was her or her friend had a dream about Imam al-Albani and that she, she saw him with the prophet. So the Imam, you know, all of a sudden there's silence on the tape. And then you just hear Imam al-Albani just breaking down this mountain of knowledge. Why? Why is he a mountain of knowledge? Because not just his hadith work, but because his implementation. Because he's also known for his wara. He was known for his taqwa. He was known with how he dealt with people. Even he dealt with the people who innovated in the religion, some extremists. For example, us, we couldn't sit with people who are Daesh, you know, people who are um, like the people of ISIS and these people. We wouldn't have any tolerance. Some of us would want to fight them. Some of us would want them to be jailed or killed. Some of us might make dua for them. And, you know, I don't know what, you know, we all have different approaches, but we couldn't do that. Imam al-Bani, because of his level of knowledge and also his character and his conduct and his, his interaction with the Book of Allah and the Ahadith of Rasulullah that he could sit with them because he was a mountain of knowledge that whatever the extremists could bring, 
he could squash it. And some of how many of them left their evil. And so that shows also that that had an immense effect upon his heart. He began crying. How many of us would just say, wow, really? You saw me in the dream with the Prophet? That's really cool. Or, you know, whatever. Imam al-Albani, he just broke down. And when you listen to that tape, and I advise you to listen to it, to, to find it. You'll find it on Sheikh Google if you type, or on the YouTube, easily. And if you know Arabic, it's going to have more meaning for you. You could just type in al-Albani crying. And I'm sure it's powerful because it shows that interaction with 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 Elm Elm Nafia the Salaf this also goes back to the Salaf what is one of this narration the Salaf used to say uh uh Elm um Al Elm um Al Amal Thamarat Al Elm so that knowledge is the uh or, or, or deeds, deeds are the fruits of knowledge. Deeds are the fruits of knowledge. Because the Salaf were not interested in calling themselves, running around, racing around, saying, I'm Ahla Athar, I'm Ahla Sunnah, I'm Ahla this. They use those terms, yes. But they, they used it because they were implementing it. Because they, had, they were striving to have the manners of the Prophet wasallam. Because they were trying to practice the book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. They were striving and they were, subhanAllah, for that in the link. So I guess I will end with this and then see if there's any, um, if there's any questions or anything. That uh, the lessons that we derive from this, we derive the importance of reflecting on the status of your heart in general. Reflecting on the status of your heart. Always check your heart. I mean, you can feel when your heart is hard. You feel it. You know what I mean? And for those who had the experience of really being into music, you can really understand this. For example, when I was in that, that lifestyle and in the music world, when I used to listen especially to certain kind of music, it made me feel, you know, it's like you're already on edge. Because if someone is teaching and talking about hurting someone else and, 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 and acting, you know, violent, you feel a little bit, yeah, you feel violent. You know, this is the fruits of that. But if you are always softening your heart from the ahadith of Rasulullah the athar of the salaf, first and foremost, the Quran, then, you know, you are, you're going to operate totally differently in your, in your life. You'll be reflecting on the status of your heart, and your heart should be be a bit uh, be a bit um, uh, soft. Your heart should be soft. Uh, it should be ref reflecting on um, on those things. You know, so it's very important that we that we reflect on the status of our heart. Also, we learn from this is to reflect on your your living standards and your blessings. Because the Salaf also, they used to reflect on the Prophet وسلم, and how hard his life was. And they, with that, they, um, with, the, with the hardship of the Prophet وسلم, they realized how benefit, benef how much they, um, you know, how blessed they are. You know, and if we look at our lives, think about your iftar. Some of you have mountains of food. Of every portion and every type, every type of food. In fact, I'm not going to lie. I just bought some cupcakes that I'm going to eat tonight 
And I'll be by myself, so I'll probably eat about four or five of them, <laughs> as well as my the good food. But the point is, is we have so many things. The Prophet ﷺ sometimes just had dates and water. The two black things they referred to him as. Also, the last point is that this, uh, you know, was the hal or the way of the salaf and, uh, you know, all the time, not just in Ramadan. This is how they, so in Ramadan, even more so, as we mentioned, Imam Shafi, you know, you know, finishing the Quran 60 times and so forth. So, <coughs> excuse me, it's, it's so important for us to, uh, to reflect and to uh you know try to implement these things in our lives and try to soften our hearts as much as possible and to occasionally shed a tear lillah and one of the best times is to bring your affairs and your difficulties to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in qiyamah layl you know take out some of the time praying in the depths of the night alone this is the time right now we still have time right now you still have time to do immensely beautiful deeds bell you have sa'at, inshallah ta'ala. You might have sa'at for some of us that we have hours to still do good deeds before we break our fast. And you still get immense reward after you break your fast. So we, have to, we, we hopefully have time. So use this time wisely to come close to Allah, soften your, your heart. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Almighty to accept our good and forgive our evil. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So if there are any questions or I, I guess comments pertinent to that, then inshallah ta'ala. <clears throat> what is the best book of tafsir to begin with? All what I read now is tafsir muyassir, and I feel is not enough. Well, that's definitely <clears throat> excellent for beginning in tafsir, because as you said, to begin to begin with. So that's good. That gives you, you know, uh, I would say from there, uh, tafsir al-Sa'di, and you can get it for free. You know, you can get it, you can download it for free in PDF in Arabic or in English. So I, I imagine you're reading it in Arabic since you mentioned Tafsir Muyassir because I don't think it's in English. I'm not sure if they translated it. But, um, you know, that's good for just getting a general meaning of some of the ayat. So it's a good basic start. But then from there is Tafsir Sa'di because, especially because his Tafsir is contemporary. And so it makes it easier, the language to understand. And also he benefited from those, all those other tefasir and gives it in a very short, short uh, synthesis, synthesis of that information and from the methodology of the Salaf. And that's what you'll find in his Akida when he interprets Ayat. You'll find it is in accordance with the Salaf, how the Sahaba Tabi'in with Tabi'in, you won't find it according to other uh, methodologies in creed. So that's very important uh, as well. Also, he brings some nice principles in there, sometimes like fiqh principles <clears throat> that you can benefit, or uh, you know, principles that we apply in the religion in general that are very good for us in our implementation. So it's very simplistic in nature and concise. And so I would highly recommend going there next, Tafsir uh, Imam Sa'di. And then from there, you could go to Tafsir Ibn Kathir or, um, uh, you know, then those much bigger Tafsir like uh, Tafsir Tabari and Tafsir Qurtubi. And, and there's so many others. You know, I'm, I can't say that I'm well versed in Tafsir myself.
you know, I've studied some tafsir, okay? But also, ah, another thing I'll mention also, if you are reading in Arabic, is, which is also full of gold, full of gold. Any books of Ben Uthaymin, and now so much tafsir has come out. I have maybe probably about six, no, I, no, no, at least probably 12 to 15 volumes of tafsir from Sheikh Ben Uthaymin has been put into book form now. Uh, much of the Quran, most of the Quran is now from his tapes, is now in book form. And I have everything up to date till when I was last in Saudi Arabia. And it's very simplistic. You know, he's teaching to the to the beginning students of knowledge, to the general uh, Muslim folk. And so it's very simplistic in its approach and full of gold and pearls and jewels. Also, uh, uh, Imam Fozen has a few volumes that are actually, hopefully, if I go to my uh, my 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 property, then I'll be where my books are. I will read some benefits from that during Ramadan. So I hope maybe within the next week, if I travel, if I'm able to travel, to go there. And it is also immensely beneficial, like just Jews Amma and Jews Tabarak and stuff like this. And he just brings you gold, you know. It's just the ilm is there's so much. So those are good places to start, especially if you know Arabic. Uh, if there are any other questions or comments, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and then is how much justice that we can do to ourselves in the same time fear that Allah will punish us if we don't do justice upon our customer. <clears throat> so this is actually a very good question that, you know, talking about our mu'amalat in general. So first, one of the things the scholars mention about, uh, you know, knowledge that becomes uh, an obligation upon us. So if you're a business person or someone in customer service, <clears throat> then you need to know what becomes wajib upon you is knowing basic fiqh of, uh, of, of tijara, kitab abiyur, you know, the, the book of uh, transactions. You should read that. You should listen also because you need to make sure that you're doing, you know, what you're doing is halal and not haram and, you know, things like that. So you understand some basic, at least basic fiqh about uh, transactions. Secondly, looking to the example of the Prophet Sallallahu you'll see so many things. Look at Surah Al-Mutafifin and the tafsir for that, you know, that we should not be, we should be equal in our balances. For example, um, you know, if you're in the business of weighing things, you know, selling fruits and vegetables, you know, you want to make sure you give people their just weight. Always go extra with the customer. That is a very Islamic principle, and that is what other business people realize as well, that the customer comes first. Always customer satisfaction. That is so important for business. And in fact, we can apply that in many things. If we apply that, that the customer comes first, based on the book in the sunnah, then you, you'll have success. So then you, you won't have to worry about being unjust. Whenever you feel like you have a doubt about it, then be more generous with the customer. If you have a doubt about a measurement, about a product, the customer says, you know, hey, I bought this piece of technology. I bought this router from you, you know, and you're a technology dealer. Uh, you know, I've had problems with it and you are doubtful, you know, so honor the customer. 
Because then he will come back to you, bidnillah. He will write you a good review, and you will be more importantly clear with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I think that's probably the best advice I can give in that regard is strive your best to treat, as the Prophet ﷺ said, uh, uh, that not one of you one of you does not truly believe until he loves for his brother what he wants for himself. Okay, so this is how you deal with your brothers, and that's how you deal even with customers, especially in business. Make sure you know if you were dealing with if you were the customer, would you want someone to shortchange you or to give you a broken product or something like this? So just be just, just be just, and I think a lot of that will come with common Islamic sense. <clears throat> what books you recommend for Akida? Whoa. Big question. <coughs> it depends on your level of uh, study. But actually what we find is a lot of times the scholars also mention things like, because your Aqid is coming from the Quran and the Sunnah. So um, I would say, you know, that um, even studying the Hadith of Jibreel is very important. Studying that hadith with its explanation, you'll find it in 40 Hadith and Noe, and there's many translations in English. Study that so you know those concepts like about Iman, because the asal of Aqidah, the asal of Iman, the six pillars of Iman is in that hadith. And, of course, the pillars of Islam. And then a book that I think is very good. Uh, is to go to Usul al-Thalatha, the three principles. Because this book is so important because it's it's bringing you only evidence from the Quran and the Sunnah and a, and a few statements of the Salaf here and there and and uh, and imams like Imam Abaghawi and, and other imams, you know? So it is really very strong in talking about the lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the... Uh, and most importantly, it's built on the questions of the grave, which will all be asked. Men rabbuk, madinak, men nabiyak. You know, who is, who is your Lord? What is your religion? And who is your prophet? So it is built upon gaining basic knowledge about the Prophet ﷺ, basic important knowledge about uh, Islam and Iman, basic important knowledge about Allah, that uh, his lordship, and also the fact that all worship belongs to him. So it is actually a fantastic book to start and study. I would say don't, I say read it, but study it. There's so many recorded lectures on the internet, on the YouTube and recorded audios and, and things like this, where you can get a good explanation of uh, Usul al-Thalatha. And just for your information, also I have it recorded on my YouTube as well, finished. You know, I've done it several times. And so you'll find that uh, Usul al-Thalatha, Usul al-Sitta, you know, the um, the six principles, Qa'id al-Arba, the four basic principles, all those are very important creed books because they're talking about the Tawheed of Allah. They're talking about the oneness of Allah, that he's the only one worthy of worship. They emphasize less, though, the divine names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then you would study other books in Aqidah. But that's a place I would say uh, to start. Those are good places to start to, um, to make sure that you, you know, ground yourself in Aqidah, in Creed. Nam. <clears throat>
so what I would say, the Sheikh that I mentioned in Yemen, Sheikh uh, Uthman of the Mahdi, they have a YouTube page. Um, uh, it's not Ulama Yemen, Yemen. It's it's um, so basically you would type in Arabic, type uh, type Sheikh the Mahdi, the Mahdi, Vel, uh, Meme, and Aleph. Uh, Ra and Ya, the Mari, of the Mari, with the Alif Walam at the beginning of the Mari. If you type in of the Mari, he might come up, but or Sheikh the Mari, Sheikh Uthman, uh, Abdullah Uthman of the Mari. So like this, and you'll you'll get some of his his beautiful lectures. And if you can subscribe to their channel, it's it's their khutbahs that they give every every Juma. That's what I I listen to. That's my main khutbah. Then I go because I'm in America. I go to the khutbah that I'm going to you know at the masjid and get the reward and the benefit also. But I like the Arabic khutbahs. That's really um, uh, yeah. So that's where you would get from the Mashayikh in Yemen. They have a YouTube some YouTube channels. There's also Dara Hadith and Sheher. I'm not exactly sure their the name of the YouTube channel, but if you type in, um, you know, uh, some of the names of some of the scholars in Yemen, like Sheikh Mohammed of Somali, not Somali like Somalia, but a Somali, and also his are very moving khutbahs. I love you know, and both of them I've been in person and used to sit with Sheikh a Somali, and he's in Sanaa in the capital. And he's also high power. He just moves you. Those khutbahs really move you and make you want to practice, make you fear Allah, sometimes bring a tear to your eye. Those are really powerful. So any of the mashayikh in Yemen, I really uh, advise. Also, Egyptians in general, they're very good in their delivery. Um, and so I've listened to some very powerful, but I'm not as familiar with scholars in, in Egypt and in places, but I would recommend Definitely uh, a lot of those Yemeni scholars that were the scholars, which are the students of Sheikh Mukbil bin Hadi al-Wadi, which like Sheikh Abdurrahman Adani, Sheikh Abdullah Adani, Sheikh Yahya al-Jouri, Sheikh, you know, there's so many of them. <clears throat> Sheikh Muhammad Ali Imam, very powerful khatib as well. Uh, so many, many benefits and fruits. Naam. <clears throat> Does Allah change his... Surah on the Day of Judgment. I read a hadith about this. I don't know anything about that. Changing. Yeah, I don't know. So you would have to come with the hadith and make sure it's an authentic hadith. And yeah, I don't I don't know. <clears throat> How do you advise we should study fiqh? Hmm. This is a big question, but a lot of sometimes, you know, people ask this to the scholars all the time. And a lot of the scholars they mention. Uh, uh, in general, they mention studying by a madhab. And so the main thing is that you don't blind follow a madhab. And the logic behind this is that when you study, for example, if you study Hanafi fiqh or you study uh, Shafi'i or Maliki or Hanbali fiqh, that it gives you a soul. It gives you base principles and masail. And if I had a thick book here, I could give you an example. Like, you know, they'll start Kitaba Tahara, Kitaba Salat, the book of purification, the book of Salat. And then they'll bring the issues in there. So there's a type of organization to it. <clears throat> and then you will not become confused 
with looking at all the views of the different medhebs and the different uh, and their reasons for it. And, you know, and then the usul of the medheb. So it's just a good place to start as far as studying fiqh, that you you start with a medheb and you learn that medheb good, not blindly following, because, again, we are ordered to follow the evidence. The evidence is the asl, okay? The medheb is a way we approach that evidence, okay? The evidence, the asl is the, the Quran and the sunnah. But... The, the medhebs give us an organized approach on how to study uh, the Qur'an and the sunnah, the ahkam, the, the way we uh, practice our, you know, mu'amalat, the, the way we interact with one another, everything from business to other actions, uh, to marriage, to divorce, all of that, as well as, of course, the fiqh ibadat, things like purification, prayer, fasting, hajj, uh, you know, and zakat and so forth so they give you a logical systemic approach that's the usefulness of a medhab we don't say that's the only way because some of the scholars they advise and some they teach fiqh sunnah you know going and gaining knowledge uh, often directly from the uh the nasus from the quran and the sunnah you know and so the masail there are derived uh, you have to find from the explanation you're deriving those issues. Whereas in fiqh, a lot of those issues are already in place and then the evidence. You know, I, I don't know, I, you know, I asked Sheikh Suleiman Rahedi this question actually some years ago and he, he mentioned, he said, they're both the same in that sense. That's what he told me. He said, they're both the same because they both rely on the Quran and the Sunnah. They both, you know, it's not that the medhabs didn't rely on the Quran and the Sunnah, but you will find when you follow a lot of the medhabs, just on a medhab basis, you'll find sometimes that there may be weak evidence they are using, or you may not find the evidence. Maybe it was more some ijtihad, it could have been qiyas, you know, the analogy and other th principles that they use. Whereas fiqh sunnah you are predominantly dealing with the text, and then taking the ahkam from the text. Ah, you know, there's ayat, the ayat of ahkam. There are books written about, you know, uh, the 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 rulings and the fiqh taken from the verses in the Quran. And then, of course, from the sunnah. You know, books like umdat ahkam, Baluga maram are considered uh, or, or yeah, like fiqh books. You know, they are organized in, you know, kitab tahara Kitaba Salat, Kitaba Zakat, Kitaba Jihad, Kitaba Som. You know, they're organized like that. And then they give you the hadith under that. And then the scholars in so many explanations have explained. So I love those books as well. I like the books of the Medhab, especially important ones to be familiar and to go through in my training. My limited training is mainly in the Hanbali Medhab. But I, I so I like Fik Mukarana, those big those big resource books which are comparative fiqh. And I also love books like Umdita Ahkam and Buluga Maram and the many different explanations, even from different scholars of different medhebs. Like he might be Hanafi, he might be Shafi'i, he might be Hanbali, he might be uh, Maliki, and you get the the principles, you know, they're deriving it from the same hadith. So I love those kind of books. Those kind of books I have 
many in my collection. Matter of fact, as many as I could find in Saudi Arabia of explanation of those two books in particular, I have so many different explanations of them from many different scholars. And I love it because you can compare and you can get different at you know, different benefits from different scholars, scholars in the past and contemporary scholars. So it's beneficial. So long answer. <laughs> May Allah bless us with Tawfiq. I mean, it's chronic pain and punishment. I can't take it anymore. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure you and protect you and make your affairs easy. We can't say that that's a, a punishment. But when things happen to us, it, it things, and I'm not talking about your situation of the chronic pain. I don't know if that's something you've been with through your life. You know, that could be a test of your faith. It could be a test. It could be, for some of us, for some people, things they're afflicted with things as a punishment we cannot necessarily determine those things we try to show a logical relationship when we see something when we see someone who is evil and wicked and tyrannical and disbelieves in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they're doing evil deeds and we see them suffering we we usually associate that with a type of punishment that they're getting in this life you know they're not being tested for their iman but ahli iman they may go through those trials as a test of their faith and they may go through those tiles sometimes as a check to kind of punish you for something. So I wouldn't say, we can't say that you know, your chronic pain is a punishment. It may be a test because you're able to take it. Even though you say you can't take it anymore, someone else might not be able to take it at all. That they, If they were in that situation, they would be so weak, they would have done something very rash and something very bad and disobedient to Allah. But you may be a better servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah is using it to have you draw nearer to him. And it's just, that's the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what I would say is, is do whatever you can to try to find your cures and things like that. You know, if it's a back pain issue, if it's some other pain, you know, try your best uh, <clears throat> and do your best. So alhamdulillah, remain religious. That's the most important thing. Remain religious and strive to find your cure because that's a part of tawakkal Allah is that you, you, uh, you know, that you try to, you rely on Allah and you try to find a cure or try to make an effort. So chronic pain, if you need painkillers, but if you can find a natural way through naturopathy, through, um, you know, it depends on what kind of pains you are and what your issues are. But, you know, if you can find natural cures or if you can find or if you have to deal with uh, the medical, uh, you know, I guess Western science and medicine and chemicals, uh, sometimes it may be necessary, you know. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, so those are some of the best ways. But remain faithful. Remain faithful. That's the most important thing. Naam. So if there are no uh, further questions, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, <clears throat> the Almighty, to accept our good and forgive our evil. Bless us with ikhlas, with abat. Blessings with ilm al-nafiris can tayyibu amalam al-taqabilin and make this a source of good deeds for us and not a source of bad deeds. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And until our next uh, lecture in this series next Monday, as-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. <clears throat>